Chapter Twelve of A Daughter of Today by Sarah Jeanette Duncan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. It was Arthur Rattray who generally did the art criticism for the decade, and when a temporary indisposition interfered between Mr. Rattray and his duty early in May, he had acquired so much respect for Elfrida's opinion in artistic matters and so much goodwill toward her personally that he wrote and asked her to undertake it for him with considerable pleasure this respect and regard had dawned upon him gradually from various sources in spite of the fact that the latin quarter article had not been a particular success that to do miss bell justice as mr rattray said in mentioning the matter to the editor-in-chief was not so much the fault of the article as the fault of their public miss bell wrote the graphic naked truth about the latin quarter even after rattray had sent her copy back to be amended for the third time she did not seem able to realize that their public wouldn't stand union libre when not served up with a moral purpose that no artistic apology for them would do in the end therefore rattray was obliged to mutilate the article himself and to neutralize it here and there he was justified in taking the trouble for it was matter they wanted on account of some expensive drawings of the locality that had been in hand a long time even then the editor-in-chief had grumbled at its tone though the wrath of the editor-in-chief was nothing to miss bell's mr rattray could not remember ever having had before a conversation with a contributor which approached in liveliness or interest the one he sustained with miss bell the day after her copy appeared if he imparted some ideas upon expediency he received some upon obligation to artistic truth which he henceforth associated with elfrida's expressive eyes and what he called her foreign accent on the whole therefore the conversation was agreeable and it left him with the impression that miss bell under proper guidance could very possibly do some fresh unconventional work for the age freshness and unconventionality for the age was what mr rattray sought as they seek the jewel in the serpent's head in the far east he talked to the editor-in-chief about it mentioning the increasing lot of things concerning women that had to be touched which only a woman could treat from the inside and the editor-in-chief agreed sulkily because experience told him it was best to agree with mr rattray that miss bell should be taken on the staff on trial at two pounds a week but the paper doesn't want a female zola he growled you can tell her that rattray did not tell her precisely that but he explained the situation so that she quite understood it the next afternoon when he called to talk the matter over with her he could not ask her to come to the office to discuss it he said they were so full up they had really no place to receive a lady and he apologized for his hat which was not a silk one in the uncertain way of a man who has heard of the proprieties in these things 
she made him tea with her samovar and she talked to him about parisian journalism and the parisian stage in a way that made her a further discovery to him and his mind hitherto wholly devoted to the service of the illustrated age received an impetus in a new direction when he had gone elfrida laughed a little silently thinking first of this for it was quite plain to her then contrasting what the age wanted her to write with her ideal of journalistic literature she stated to buddha that it was worse than panade but it means two pounds a week buddha she said fifty francs do you understand that it means that we shall be able to stay here in the world that i shall not be obliged to take you to sparta you don't know buddha how you would loathe sparta but understand it is at that price that we are going to despise ourselves for a while not for the two pounds and next day she was sent to report a distribution of diplomas to graduating nurses by the princess of wales buddha was not an adequate confidant elfrida found him capable of absorbing her emotions indefinitely but his still smile was not always responsive enough so she made a little feast and asked golightly tick to tea the sunday after the saturday that made her a salaried member of the london press golightly's felicitations were sincere and spasmodically sympathetic but he found it impossible to conceal the fact that of late the world had not smiled equally upon him in spite of the dramatic fervour with which the part of james jones a solicitor's clerk had been rendered every evening the piece at the princess's had come to an unprofitable close the theatre had been leased to an american company phyllis had gone upon tour and mr tick's abilities were at the service of chance by the time he had reached his second cigarette he was so sunk in cynicism that elfrida applied herself delicately to discover these facts golightly made an elaborate effort to put her off he threw his head back in his chair and watched the faint rings of his cigarette curling into indistinguishability against the ceiling and said that he was only the dust that blew about the narrow streets of the world and why should she care to know which way the wind took him lighting his third he said as bitterly as that engrossment would permit him that the sooner puff it was over puff the sooner puff to sleep and when the lighting was quite satisfactorily accomplished he laughed harshly i shall think said elfrida earnestly if you do not tell me how things are with you since they are bad that you are not a true bohemian that you have scruples you know better at least i hope you do than to charge me with that golightly returned with an inflection full of reproachful meaning i-i drank myself to sleep last night miss bell when the candle flickered out i thought that it was all over curious sensation this morning he added looking through his half-closed eyelashes with sardonic stage effect i wished it had been tell me elfrida insisted gently 
mr tick then told her looking attentively at his long thin fingers he told her tersely it did not take long and in the end he doubled up his hand and pulled a crumpled cuff down over it to me he said a thing like that represents the worst of it when i look at that i feel capable of crime i don't know whether you'll understand but the consideration of what my finer self suffers through sordidness of this sort sometimes makes me think that to rob a bank would be an act of virtue i understand said elfrida washerwomen as a class are callous i suppose the alkalies they use finally penetrate to their souls i said to mine last thursday but i must be clean mrs binkley and the creature replied i don't see at all mr ticks she has an odious habit of calling me mr ticks why you shouldn't go dirty occasional she seemed to think she had made a joke they live to be paid elfrida said with hard philosophy and then she questioned him delicately about his play could she induce him to show it to her some day her opinion was worth nothing really oh no absolutely nothing but it would be a pleasure if golightly were sure he didn't mind golightly found it difficult in selecting phrases repressive enough to be artistic in which to tell her that he would be delighted when mr tick came in that evening he found upon his dressing-table a thick square envelope addressed to him in elfrida's suggestive hand with his finger and thumb he immediately detected a round hardness in one corner and he took some pains to open the letter so that nothing should fall out he postponed the pleasure of reading it until he had carefully extracted the two ten-shilling pieces divested them of their bits of tissue paper and put them in his waistcoat pocket then he held the letter nearer to the candle and read i have thought about this for a whole hour you must believe please that it is no vulgar impulse i acknowledge it to be a very serious liberty and in taking it i rely upon not having misinterpreted the scope of the freedom which exists between us in bohemia our country one may share one's luck with a friend n'est-ce pas i will not ask to be forgiven nice girl said mr golightly tick taking off his boots he went to bed rather resentfully conscious of the difference there was in the benefactions of miss phyllis fane shortly after this mr tick's own luck mended and on two different occasions elfrida found a bunch of daffodils outside her door in the morning that made a mute and graceful acknowledgment of the financial bond mr tick did not dream of offering to materialize in any other way he felt his gratitude finally it suggested to him a number of little directions in which he could make himself useful to miss bell putting aside entirely the question of repayment one of these resolved itself into an invitation from the arcadia club 
of which mr tick was a member in impressive arrears to their monthly soiree in the landscapist's rooms in bond street the arcadia club had the most liberal scope of any in london he told elfrida and included the most interesting people painters belonged to it and sculptors actors novelists musicians journalists perhaps above all journalists a great many ladies were members elfrida would see and they were always glad to welcome a new personality the club recognized how the world had run to types and how scarce and valuable personalities were in consequence it was not a particularly conventional club but he would arrange that if elfrida would accept his escort mrs tommy morrow would meet her in the dressing-room as a concession to the prejudices of society mrs tommy is a brilliant woman in her way mr tick added she edits the boudoir i might say she created the boudoir they call her the queen of arcadia she has a great deal of manner what does mr tommy moreau do elfrida asked but golightly could not inform her as to mr tommy moreau's occupation the rooms were half full when they arrived and as the man in livery announced them mrs morrow miss bell and mr golightly tick it seemed to elfrida that everybody turned simultaneously to look there was nobody to receive them the man in livery published them as it were to the company which she felt to be a more effective mode of entering society when it was the society of the arts she could not possibly help being aware that a great many people were looking in her direction over mrs tommy morrow's shoulder presently it became obvious that mrs tommy morrow was also aware of it the shoulder was a very feminine shoulder with long lines curving forward into the sulphur-coloured gown that met them not too prematurely mrs tommy morrow insisted upon her shoulder and upon her neck which was short behind but long in front in effect and curved up to a chin which was somewhat too persistently thrust forward mrs tommy had a pretty face with an imperious expression just the face as golightly murmured to elfrida to run the boudoir she seemed to know everybody bowed right and left with varying degrees of cordiality and said sharply no shop to-night to a thin young woman in a high black silk who came up to her exclaiming oh mrs morrow that function at sandringham has been postponed presently mrs morrow's royal progress was interrupted by a gentleman who wished to present signor giorgiadi the star of the evening golightly said hurriedly to elfrida mrs morrow was very gracious but the little fat italian with the long hair and drooping eyelids was atrociously embarrassed to respond to her compliments in english he struggled so violently that mrs morrow began to smile with a compassionate patronage which turned him a distressing terra-cotta elfrida looked on for a few minutes and then as one of the group she said quietly in french 
and italian opera in england how do you find it signor the italian thanked her with every feature of his expressive countenance and burst with polite enthusiasm into his opinion of the albert hall concerts when he discovered elfrida to be an american and therefore not specially susceptible to praise of english classical interpretations he allowed himself to become critical and their talk increased in liveliness and amiability mrs morrow listened with an appreciative air for a few minutes playing with her fan then she turned to mr tick go lightly she said acidly i'm dying of thirst you shall take me to the refreshment room so the star of the evening was abandoned to elfrida and finding in her a refuge from the dreadful english lady he clung to her she was so occupied with him in this character that almost all the other distinguished people who attended the soiree of the arcadia club escaped her golightly asked her reproachfully afterwards how he could possibly have pointed them out to her absorbed as she was and some of them would have been so pleased to be introduced to her she met a few notwithstanding they were chiefly unmarried ladies of middle age who immediately mentioned the paper they were connected with and one or two of them learning that she was a newcomer kindly gave her their cards and asked her to come and see them any second tuesday they had indefinite and primitive ideas of doing their hair and they were certainly mal tournés but elfrida saw that she made a novel impression upon them that they would remember her and talk of her seeing that other things became less noteworthy she observed however that these ladies were more or less emancipated on easy terms with the facts of life free from the prejudices that tied the souls of the people she saw shopping at the stores for instance that and a familiarity with the exigencies of copy at short notice was discernible in the way they talked and looked about them and the readiness with which each produced a pencil and a card suggested that she might have decorated the staff of her journal an appreciable number of years if that supposition had not been forbidden by the fact that the feminine element in journalism is of comparatively recent introduction elfrida wondered what they had occupied themselves with before it did not detract from her sense of the success of the evening golightly tick went about telling everybody that she was the new american writer on the age to feel herself altogether the youngest person present and manifestly the most effectively dressed in her cloudy black net and daffodils her spirits rose as she looked at the other women with a keen instinct that assured her she would win if it were only a matter of a race with them she had never had the feeling in any security before it lifted her and carried her on in a wave of exhilaration go lightly tick taking her in turn to the buffet for lemonade and a sandwich told her that he knew she would enjoy it she must be enjoying it she looked in such capital form 
it was the first time she had been near the buffet so she had not had the opportunity of observing how important a feature the lemonade and sandwiches formed in the entertainment of the evening how persistently the representatives of the arts with varying numbers of buttons off their gloves returned to this light refreshment elfrida thanked mrs tommy morrow very sweetly for her chaperonage in the cloak-room when the hour of departure came well said mrs morrow you can say you have seen a characteristic london literary gathering yes thanks said elfrida and then looking about her for a commonplace how much taller the women seem to be than the men she remarked yes returned mrs tommy morrow dumaurier drew attention to that in punch some time ago End of chapter twelve